And good morning, Sunset Bible Church once again. Pastor Jay here. So good to welcome you to our time in God's Word. I'd love to have you take your Bibles, if you have one handy there, with you and turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2, where we will find ourselves once again looking at verses 16 to 23. And uh, some of you, I know, have found our sermon notes and community group notes uh, there on our website And uh, if you have done that, wonderful. If not, not a problem. I think you'll stay with us just fine. I want to thank uh, Pastor Ben for the story of the Topsy-Turvy Kingdom. Uh, That book was written 24 years ago, uh, Josh McDowell and his wife. And uh, boy, the story of the Topsy-Turvy Kingdom is, uh, in my mind, I've had that book for quite a while, and it tells a parable that um, I think is, is, is even more apropos today than even then 24 years ago, how things get mixed up and upside down uh, indeed when, um, when we step away from God's rules and God's plan. Today in our text, we continue our study of Colossians that we have pursued since last fall, or uh, you know, Galatians and then into Colossians. And uh, a week ago, we saw a very important section And uh, that part that Pastor Tyler led us in, in chapter 2, 6 through 15, is is vitally connected with the text that we're going to look at today. There's a strong bond between the two, as we're going to see. But specifically today, we're going to be answering a question that I think many times people ask about their own spiritual life. If you are a follower of Jesus, um, whether you're a newer follower of Jesus or you've been doing this for a while, sometimes we wonder about... Uh, measuring our progress. I mean, are we doing it? Are, are we growing in faith? And, and how do we find appropriate models to follow? Uh, we need models to follow, other people who are, who are living the Christian life. And who do we follow? And, and sometimes we, we read books or we follow speakers or uh, other people that are big names and so on or just others around us. How do we know uh, who we might follow? And this text maybe doesn't answer all of those questions, but it addresses several key things if only by way of warning. So I hope, you'll, I hope you'll stay with us this morning. There are several things we're going to look at together in the text. I love this portion. It, is, it has got so much here for us. And I want to pray for us, and then we will we'll jump right into the text here this morning. But join me as we come to God's Word then in prayer. Our Father, how we need your help today. As always, it is with great joy that we come to the Word of God and thanking you for speaking to us. How would we know who you are and what you are like if you didn't tell us? And so you, in your great plan, you sent us the word of God, progress of revelation all the way down from the early parts to, to the conclusion in the book of Revelation, how we thank you for all of it. And I pray this morning as we pour ourselves into the paragraph ahead of us, that you would help us, give us uh, minds to think clearly in concentration today with whatever distractions are ours, and help us to hear today uh, the word of God. So we trust you now for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I note for you, uh, if you have the information in front of you that we've prepared in terms of study notes, one biblical scholar who says of today's text that this is one of the most debated portions of this epistle and yet at the same time, one of the most important segments because it brings to, kind of brings to into focus 
Paul's, Paul's rebuttal of the false teachers that he's confronting. So he, he does that in a, in a very clear way. And if you're a, a Bible study oriented person, you know some of these important clues to, as you read and study the Bible. The, the, the connection begins at the beginning of verse 16 in most of our English translations with that big word, therefore, which I note for you, of course, in, in, in writing. The, the, the word therefore is always a clue. And in this text in particular, it, it draws a very strong connection with what, with what precedes it. So Paul's drawing a conclusion. And last week, uh, as we saw with Pastor Tyler, uh, Paul is talking about what it means to know Jesus and what does it mean to enter into to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. We belong to him. And the depth of that, of that connection then is, is, is communicated now in its implication. And that's the therefore. Therefore, we are to do the following things. And as we're going to note, as we read the text, I want you to look for these things. There are, there are three structural phrases that help us to follow Paul's thought in this, in this paragraph or two. Uh, there are two therefores, therefore let no one, and therefore uh, let no one disqualify you. The therefore is kind of implied down in verse 18. So 16, 18, and then in verse 20, he asks an if-then statement. Now, if you're familiar with grammar, you, you love those kinds of things. You go, wow, it's a protasis and a potasis. I know, you grammar fiends are having a blast today. Uh, others of you, forget it completely if you didn't really like eighth grade grammar. Well, if then, in verse 20, is the third uh, helpful phrase to, to enable us to see what Paul is arguing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the text, and then we'll look together at those, those three different ways in which Paul is saying, to apply the truth in the preceding section. So let's hear the word of God then, Colossians 2, 16 to, 20, to 23. We read this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world— Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and traditions. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And together we hear the word of God. So because of the way that Paul structures this with the, 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 those three helpful connecting parts, I have arranged my thoughts in the same way. Each of, each of my key statements then begin with the same uh, phrase, and that is Christianity is Christ. 
And I, I really believe that's what Paul is pressing on. That's where he's been before. And of course, as we have studied Colossians here, following Galatians, we remember in chapter 1, that strong Christological paragraph, chapter 1, verse 15, uh, down through verse 20, where the Apostle Paul just, just lays out a vision of what Jesus is like in, in a way that people have studied and reveled in, poured into their own hearts down since he wrote it, and we should. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. And we belong to him, the preceding section, as we've said. And then now in today's text, Paul is, Paul is, is pressing us back to the pursuit of Christ in our spiritual life. He's pointing out that progress in our spiritual life is not simply a matter of externals. That is, uh, to, to grow in faith does not just mean that you do or act certain ways, although, of course, our faith in Christ should be expressed in things we do or say or don't do and don't say. But he's pressing at the core issue. That is, but where are you with Jesus? Because a person can change all manner of things externally. And if they're ignoring Jesus, they missed it. They haven't grown any more spiritually. Not at all. So holding on to Christ is what he says in verse 19. The substance belongs to Christ, verse 17. And again in verse 20, if with Christ. So he's pressing on this issue. So that's why I've grabbed that phrase. Christianity is Christ. Not just a, a faith statement, not just a doctrinal position, not just a cultural way of living. No, Christianity is Christ and our vital union with Christ, our daily living with him through the ups and the downs, the good days in the bad days, Christianity is Christ. So verses 16 and 17 then, I went with this phrase to kind of capture it. Christianity is Christ, so don't judge other believers. Or as you see in verse 16, Paul says, don't let others judge you. And again, it's because Christianity is Christ. Now, several things I want to comment on here. In verse 16, this first list of, of several, of course, there are three in, the, in this broader text. Here's the first list. The list of things he mentions about which people should not judge us and we shouldn't judge them, these are decidedly Jewish in their orientation. Matters of food and drink or festival, new moon or Shabbat, Sabbath. All of those have Jewish origins. And of course, if you read and study the New Testament, you know that this, in the early church, the relationship of Christianity to, to, to Judaism from which it sprang, uh, it's legendary all the way through the New Testament. These, these folks who were most of them, at least initially, uh, a Jewish crowd who had been raised with Sabbath and, and festivals and calendar issues and Passover and, oh my goodness sakes, all the things, all the trappings of Judaism have now come to Christ. And as God brought others who were not of Jewish background into the church, the Jewish crowd struggled to know, um, what do we do with these guys? They don't know how to celebrate our festivals, and should we continue to celebrate them? And or what about the Old Testament laws and rules? What do we do? And so there was a big discussion going on. Of course, the, the Jerusalem Council, as outlined in Acts 15, you find that struggle throughout the book of Acts. You find it in Romans and in the, both First and Second Corinthians. You find it in Galatians. You certainly find it here in Colossians as well. So this, this, this struggle. Now, I, I, I want to say a couple of things. Of course, that's not quite our context for most of us. Most of us are not Jewish in background and certainly have not had some of those things pressed upon us by others. But, but I want to talk about this because this has, 
has tremendous import for us today as well. Um, First of all, I want to say this. Those elements from the Old Testament are not bad. So I don't want you to read that list and think, oh, those are how we often say, that's the Old Testament. Old meaning, meaning get rid of it. No, not at all. Paul did not disparage the Old Testament, nor should we. The Old Testament is part of God's revelation to us. And so the, the point here in this text is not that those things were bad or foolish or wrong. They were part of God's revelation to us. So we would be wrong then to look at that list and say, ah, who would follow that stuff? Well, how about God's people for generations? Uh, that was part of God's plan for them. And I, I just want to, to, to press into the reason for them. And this is Paul's argument. This is the whole thing. If you get this, you'll understand what Paul's, what, what Paul's talking about. The reason for those issues of food laws and drink and, and festivals and, and so on, it was, there were several. Some of those Old Testament laws were purity laws because God's people then as now, unclean people and a holy God is going to dwell in the midst of them. A tabernacling God is going to dwell among them. And so God made rules for unclean people to know how to live with God tabernacling among them. There was a reason for these rules. Some of the laws were intended to keep them distinct from the peoples around them so that God's people would, would not be like all the nations. And again, we have things to learn here. Some of the Old Testament laws and rules were celebrating the work of God. And that's a good thing too, isn't it? Celebrating the work of God. We read about, of course, uh, uh, Passover in the book of Exodus Passover had a point. It was celebrating God's great deliverance, that first great redemptive event in the Bible, the first of two, you remember, the the Passover celebration, God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt of his people, and all of that looking ahead to Christ, that second great and greater redemptive event. Uh, Christ, our Passover lamb, Paul would say, has been sacrificed. Christ redeeming us from slavery, not a slavery in Egypt, but slavery to sin. So those two big redemptive events kind of give structure to the whole of the Bible. But some of those Old Testament festivals are celebrating the work of God in delivering and saving his people. The, 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 the festival of booths or the feast of weeks, however you want to call it, uh, God's people uh, the faithful, during those seasons, they were supposed to go out and build a booth in their backyard and sleep out there for a week with their kids, and not just to camp out, but to tell the story of God's great deliverance. Look how God has cared for us. So, so what I'm saying is, this list of food and drink and festivals and new moons and Shabbat, Sabbath, of course, uh, those weren't bad things. Uh, Sabbath, of course, um, specifically mentioned here, uh, along with these things, that was a day of rest. It was a gift from God. You were to cease from your labor, cease from your works, and to rest in the presence of a holy God, to rest in his provision. Now, Paul says in verse 17, oh, please get this. This is so important for our, our biblical theology, our understanding of progress of revelation, what it means to know Jesus. Paul says these things in verse 17. He doesn't say these are all bad things. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say they're sinful things, not at all. He says they were a shadow of things to come. All of those things listed, including Sabbath worship, by the way, a shadow of the things to come. But he says the substance, the fullness belongs to Christ. So those things were pointing. They were like a large sign 
Old Testament, looking ahead to God's future salvation, looking ahead to a savior, looking ahead to another day. And if we were to take the rest of the morning just on this, we could talk about how each of those festivals and, and prohibitions and, and value statements from the Old Testament, Sabbath, how they picture Christ. I'll comment on Sabbath for us. I, I still get questions about this from God's people, but, but the Old Testament, it talks about Sabbath all the time. Shabbat, shouldn't we worship on Sabbath? And of course, this is one of the texts that we would look to to say, oh, wait a minute, but Sabbath is looking ahead as well in the New Testament. Go to the book of Hebrews, for example. We read that even as Sabbath was a time of ceasing from our works and resting, trusting in the presence of a, of a providing, gracious God, so in Christ, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we enter into Sabbath, the writer to Hebrews tells us. Every day is for the believer is a day lived in Sabbath because every day, right, we rest from our works, and we trust, we rest our souls in the provision of a gracious God. So every day for the Christian to live in the gospel is to live in Sabbath. So not just one day out of seven, seven days out of seven, we live in Sabbath if you're a child of God. And then in the early church, uh, worship switched from Sabbath because of that. Christ has fulfilled this. He's our Sabbath. He's our Sabbath rest. So we're, early church began to worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Christ, Now, all of this to say, verse 16, Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. That is, there are still some in this early church who are still uh, celebrating some of those elements. And he says to them, you're a Jewish background person. You've still got your little booth in the backyard once a year and you live out there. Hey, listen, wonderful for you, good for you. but, But don't judge others who don't do that. Don't do that. Don't press your Gentile neighbor into celebrating the Jewish things. That's, again, the context of the New Testament. And Paul says to the early Christians, if you don't do those things, if you don't celebrate, so to speak, the Jewish roots, if you don't worship on Sunday, or Sabbath, rather, if you don't do those things, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody press you into those kinds of things. So the way I translate all of this into our own culture, I say to all of us, Sometimes we find things that are helpful in our own spiritual life that aren't necessarily prescribed in the Bible. And uh, my goodness sakes, you read you know, 13 chapters of the Bible every day or you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray. Wonderful for you. Wonderful. But don't you make that a measure of someone else's Christianity if they don't follow the same thing. And don't you press them and say, well, you know, all good Christians do this. I put in your study notes, and I hope you read this. You should look this up if you don't. This is a deal. Okay, it's a deal today. Uh, The minute you take something not addressed in the Bible and you begin to say or to believe, all good Christians think about this the way I do. At that moment, that very place, you've stepped into the weeds, to use a good golfing term, out of bounds. The minute you begin to say, all good Christians think about this issue, one not addressed in the Bible, all good Christians agree with me because clearly I'm a good Christian. I've got, I know what God thinks about this and this isn't addressed in the Bible, but I know, see, I know how it ought to be. The minute you say all good Christians would agree with me, whether it's a social issue or a cultural issue or a political issue or how you live in a pandemic, let me tell you something, you're out of bounds. Not all good Christians would agree with you on some of those things. So therefore, don't you judge them Don't let them judge you. Well, we could say a lot more about that, and we will next Sunday, as a matter of fact, in our sermon. Uh, Verse 18, then, 
Christianity is Christ. Don't chase religious experiences. A lot of commonality with verses 18 and 19 with the preceding two verses, but he gives a little different list. He says, don't let anyone uh, disqualify you, the ESV says. Some of your other translations will say, rob you of your prize. Don't let anyone cheat you. And of course, I think the prize here is, is an unqualified devotion to Christ. Don't let anyone disqualify you, he says. And here's a new list. Insisting on asceticism. Asceticism. Wow, that's a cool word that describes uh, the practice of, of setting aside certain things like some do for Lent. Uh, discipline of the body, harsh treatment of the body, saying, oh no, I'm a Christian, I don't drink Pepsi or Coke or sugary soft drinks. I'm a Christian, I don't, I, I, whatever that is. Uh, Christians down through the years have practiced some of these things. Some have slept on the floor uh, down through the ages. Some have lived on poles. Uh, some people in some uh, would climb up stairs on their knees and things like that. Ill treatment of the body. He says, hey, hold on. Don't let anyone rob you of your prize, this joyous pursuit of Jesus, by insisting on asceticism, that those practices are for the spiritually advanced worship of angels. You say, well, who does that? Well, there is evidence in the earlier church days, the first few centuries, that there were people who did, in fact, worship angels. Some of the ancient cities, there's some things found that suggest worship of angels. Michael's, Michael, for example, um, some people thought it was really cool to be real close with Michael, the archangel. I mean, have you chatted with him lately? Well, <laughs> I have. Gabriel and I, good buddies. Yeah, however all of that played out, uh, someone comes along and says, I have, I have something special, extra. It's a bonus. Now, you've got Jesus and the gospel. That's wonderful. But I have this special religious experience. Maybe I went to a cool retreat or this wonderful concert or I read this book. It was came from a person who received it kind of straight from God. No, they did. You say, well, you know, come on, these things don't happen today. Well, yes, in fact, they do. Um, I uh, have had some of these conversations myself with different people. I remember a person leaving my office not that long ago, uh, within the last few years, very angry at me because they had presented, that person had presented uh, a number of things that they said they got straight from God. They'd picked up a pen or a pencil, and it was just like their hand moved. And it was clearly all from God. It was first person from God. And that person said, therefore, you should accept this and agree with me about this. And I, I didn't agree and pointed out how those things were a contradiction of Scripture. And no, I didn't believe that those things came straight from the hand of God. And said person left my office in great anger and has never come back. So uh, maybe you haven't come across this. I sure have. Uh, people who say, well, I've got a closer relationship with God than you do. I've got a little bonus in my back pocket. Uh, Paul mentions going on in detail about visions. Again, depending on the translation you have <clears throat> and the textual tradition it represents, some of your Bibles will say <clears throat> going on in detail about visions he has seen or visions he hasn't seen. There's a, a bit of a disparity there. Well, I think it's in a sense is immaterial. Visions he has seen, well, look, I've had this special relationship, I've had this cool religious experience, or that he or she wants to have. I'm pursuing this cool religious experience. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. That doesn't mean sexually oriented necessarily. Sensuous as in a, a mind that's not pursuing Christ, a mind that's pursuing physical things, a mind that's pursuing things that, that aren't, aren't valuable here. So Paul then is giving another list here of things that sometimes people do that if pursued 
can rob you of the prize of a pursuit of a relationship with Christ. They can get in your way. It's chasing religious experiences. And Paul says that, that, that when people do these things, it's like they're robbing you of something important. They're wanting to say to you, what you have in your relationship with Christ, you know what, you're missing something. All you have is like, you know, Jesus and the gospel. You need something a little more. And I, again, if you have your study notes in front of you, I put it like this. Jesus is not Christianity 101. No, he is 101 and 201 and 301, to use college-type educational nomenclature. He's the entire program, the grad course, and the subject of the postgraduate program as well. No, Christ is everything. You don't ever graduate from Jesus and the gospel. It's not like that's the introductory course, and then you go on to deeper things. No, it's Christ. It's pursuit of him. And don't, don't forget that, please. Uh, if you think you need more than Jesus, I suggest you here, you probably don't know him very well in the first place. If you find yourself bored with the gospel, there's nothing wrong with the gospel, my friend. There's something going on in your heart. I need a little more. No, you don't. I, I, I've got to say one of the phrases that has come down through the years, and I'm grateful it's not used as much anymore, but, and that's the idea that we need to go a little deeper need to go a little deeper. I understand what was meant by that, but I remember also through the years having heard this speaker, that speaker, someone says, well, that person, I tell you what, he's really deep. Sometimes that meant completely incomprehensible. Again, not to point fingers or poke at anybody, but sometimes deep meant he finished, I have no idea what was said. And if that's the idea of deep, I don't ever want to be deep. Uh, Christ If you study the Gospels, he was loved, you read. He was loved by the common person. The common person heard Jesus gladly. He picked flowers up by the side of the road and said, look at this, let's talk about this. He used all kinds of illustrations from nature so that common people heard him gladly. He didn't try to be obscure. He didn't try to use big fancy words. He didn't, uh, anyway, he didn't try to confuse people. Very, very simple, really able to be understood, and yet greater depth than any of us could ever, could ever produce. So Paul says, first, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in regard to these Jewish things. Don't judge other believers also. Then he says, don't let anybody disqualify you about these religious experiences, because in every generation, there are going to be people coming along saying, I've got a bonus for you. I've got something special. This will really advance your faith. These things are still coming. They're still entering our world. Um, usually with Bible verses attached. Beware, please beware, people, God's people, please beware. Just because it has a Bible verse or comes from a Christian publisher doesn't make what's packaged in that book or by that speaker uh, legitimate in terms of biblical Christianity. Let's develop some discernment here. Well, then similarly, in verses 20 to 23, Christianity's Christ don't confuse holiness, I say it this way, don't confuse holiness with rules or with, with empty rules or rules just for the sake of having rules. And you, you see, as I mentioned in verse 20, there's an if-then statement. Uh, one of those explicitly mentioned, the other implied, if with Christ you died to the elementary, elemental spirits of the world, here's the then, then Why? The then is implied. If this is true, then why, as if you were still living in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Now, the, the if, and the way the original language that Paul used is the way it works, sometimes if kind of leaves you hanging, but it's correctly translated if. 
Sometimes there's an if with an implication that it is a certain way, which is why your NIV translation uh, translate this, and I think the NLT says since, or makes a positive statement about it. That's not an illegitimate translation. They're just leaning into the element of, um, of, of, of certitude that's implied by the term that Paul uses. Is that obscure enough? If with Christ, and you've died, and you have, Paul would say, to these elementary principles of the world. Why? Why then? If indeed that's true, he's looking to the paragraph before uh, that we looked at with Pastor Tyler. Why then would you, as if you were alive in the world, do you submit to these kinds of regulations? Don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch that are all about physical things, things that destined to perish with the using. They're externals only. Why, he says, if, if indeed it's about Christ, why would you, why would you possibly just, just take some do's and don'ts and make that the element of your faith. Now, I, I think it's important here to note there is a place for personal, family, or institutional rules. We live in an anti-rule time. We do. Uh, we don't like to be told what to do unless it's our rules. We think our rules should govern society. Now, come on, this is typically the way most of us think. I don't like, don't push me around. I don't like other people's rules. I have my own rules. We like our rules. Well, I'm just saying here, there's a place for personal disciplines and personal boundaries. It's it's appropriate to say, here are some rules by which I live my life. Uh, It's appropriate to do that for your family as well. And I know within our Sunset family, there are all kinds of different rules by which families kind of put boundaries around themselves. That's, that's reasonable and appropriate and right. Same thing with an institution, a college, for example. Sometimes in Christian colleges, there's a press pushback against certain rules. Well, I think it's okay to have rules in an institutional sense or a denomination or something. Say, in our group, our college, our family, my life, our church, here's things, some things we do and don't do to, to just kind of help us think about boundaries. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not just saying all rules are bad. He's talking about this this business of foisting them off onto other people and using those rules to measure holiness, spiritual progress, or perhaps insisting that other people keep my boundaries. I've mentioned before other sermons that uh, when our kids were young um, in our home, we had certain family rules about words that could be used. I don't mean like bad words, but just Certain words that, like the word, I shouldn't say it out loud, I'll just spell it, S-T-U-P-I-D. That was kind of on the bad list. We just don't say that. It isn't because it's a curse word. It's just not one that young kids know how to use well. So we had a family rule. And in our family, until you're older and know how to use that word, we're just not going to say that. And there were some others like that. Uh, But we didn't make that a measure of spirituality. All good Christians would agree with me. And, and that's where Paul is going with this. If you've died with Christ to, 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 those, to just rule-oriented living, why do, you, why do you want to just grab a bunch of rules here for yourselves? Now, I want to I go to where Paul takes this, and then I want to go back to verse, verse, verse 19, because all of these kind of hinge together around verse 19, I believe, in terms of their application. So Paul says, uh, verse 23, this kind of living rule-oriented living can appear to some like that's advanced religion. Well, they have better rules. They don't do anything. Man, they must never sin. 
They don't, they don't, man, they, they stay home anytime after nine o'clock. They don't have a TV in their house, which is fine if you don't. Um, uh, they do, don't do all kinds of, no radio. I mean, all kinds of things that we do. Rules, rules, rules. That can appear wise, Paul says, to promote self-made religion, asceticism, the saying of no to all kinds of things, and severity to the body. But he says they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, if you're counting on rules to turn your heart to Christ, it's not going to work. Our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts want things we ought not to want. We want things all the time. And to just say you can't have the following six things does not mean my heart will love Christ. Um, in, your, in your community group notes, I quote another writer who takes a look by allusion back to the story of the prodigal son in Luke 16 or Luke 15. Luke 15. Terrible. I should know that. The story of the prodigal son, really the story of the prodigal sons, because both boys in the story had hearts that were far away from the father. The one that we typically call the prodigal was the one who headed into pursuit of all kinds of sensual activities and wasting of money and what we would call living poorly. We call him the prodigal. But in reality, the other son was a prodigal too. His heart didn't love the father. He kept all the rules. To the external look, the one watching, that person looks like a good Christian. He's keeping all the rules. That's the kind of thing that Paul is pressing on here in this text. But you know what? That older brother, that older brother didn't love the father either. He just kept the rules better. Both boys were prodigals. So in a sense, when we look at that parable and talk about the prodigal as the one who went astray, we would be actually more biblically accurate to talk about the parable of the prodigals. There were two, see? Both of them didn't love the father. And sometimes in our conservative circles, uh, there are a lot of older brothers who keep all kinds of rules. They're so used to living an external Christian life Oh, my goodness sakes, they do this, they do this, they do this, they do this. Got it all down. The language is down. Um, All the externals fit. But here's the deal. If there's no love for the Father, you you, you missed it completely. And that's what Paul is talking about here. All these rules, don't let any of this, don't be disqualified. Why would you pursue these other things? Look back with me at verse 19. He's, He's pressing us back to Christ. He talks about this pursuit of Christ as holding fast to the head, that means Jesus. And, and look at how he describes Christ. He is the one, he says, from whom the whole body nourished, being fed, in other words, knit together. This is about unity through its joints and ligaments. Christ is the one who nourishes us. Christ is the one who unifies us. Christ is the one who produces real spiritual growth. It grows with a growth, growth that is from God. This is where Paul is, is going with all of this is if you're a Christian and you, you're pursuing, let me, you, to use my little air quotes, if you're pursuing spiritual growth, all about just only adding rules. I'm going to this, I'm going to, and again, there's a place, I, I know that. There's a place to say, I'm not going to this, or I'm not going to that, on those areas that the Bible doesn't address. There's a place for it. But if that's my pursuit of, of growth in Christ, and, it, and it's apart from Christ, then all my cute little rules are meaningless. They're meaningless. 
apart from the pursuit of Christ. Whatever rules you have for, your, for yourself or your family or the church or any organization you belong to, listen, you make sure that Christ is at the very heart of that, that the fragrance of Christ flavors those rules, that the fragrance of Christ just permeates your home and your own life so that you don't go running around inflicting your rules on everybody else and thinking that that's biblical Christianity. And I said earlier, you know, we, we often look for models in our Christian life. Well, that's a good thing. Let me tell you, here's who you should pursue. You find the people from whom the fragrance of Christ emanates the most, and you follow them. I'm talking about a graciousness, a gracious spirit. I'm talking about a genuine pursuit of holiness. It isn't just about externals. The kind of person that when you're around him, you feel a little closer to Jesus. And you follow people like that. Don't just follow people who say, well, I've got some cool rules or I've had this cool experience. And you know what? We can get led astray in all kinds of ways. And rather, we should be pursuing Christ, who is the head. He is the one who nourishes the body. He's the one who brings unity. He's the one who brings growth. Sometimes uh, people read a text like today's, and they think to themselves, this is about freedom in Christ. And it is. Freedom to pursue Christ. But if in your thinking about freedom in Christ, you have found yourself thinking like, um, freedom in Christ means I can do whatever I want. You have missed it completely. That is not what biblical freedom in Christ is about. Biblical freedom in Christ never is about a hard attitude that says, I can just do what I want. No, freedom in Christ at its core is the freedom to pursue Christ to love him with all the heart and the mind and the soul and the strength. And as you do that, and the Spirit of God pours himself through you, you know what? There can be a bunch of things you're not going to want to do, not just because there's a rule about it, because your heart doesn't want to go there. You just don't want to. That's the Spirit of God changing the want to in you. That's spiritual progress. That's spiritual growth. And that ought to be something you pray about. Oh, God, help me. Help me to want what you want. Help me to not want the things that you don't want. Grow me in those areas from the inside out. Help me. Help me here. And just one other element here I, I comment on as we come toward a close. I mentioned earlier this idea that when we think all good Christians should think like I do about any of these areas. I mentioned that we're in the weeds at that point. And I, I just wonder that about, about you. That's a point of application here. Are there areas in which you kind of think that all good Christians should, should agree with you? That things that aren't mentioned in the Bible? I just ask you to think about that. Sometimes in our Facebook, uh, our Facebook pages, we wax so eloquent about things that aren't about Christ. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about other things, but let me just say this, and let the chips fall where they may if I'm offended, offensive. Um, well, so it goes. Um, but as we communicate, even now, um, culture, pandemics, there are so many topics that people fill their lives with that aren't about Christ. There's strong opinions. I'm not saying don't have strong opinions. Have them, for goodness sakes. But if the fragrance of Christ is missing, and it, the gentleness and, and the love of Christ is missing, and if when people read your stuff, if all they think about is whatever you're passionate with, free-range chickens or certain types of food or lack of pesticides or, or um, oh my goodness sakes, <laughs> I could go on to all kinds of things. If that's what people get when they hang out with you, if that's the only thing that, that, that's there, maybe I just encourage you to, 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 to tone it back just a bit. 
And make sure that people, when they're around you and they, they, they hear what your heart's about, that they'll hear that your heart is about Christ and the pursuit of him. Guys, I think that's the point for us as followers of Jesus. Our citizenship, indeed, is in heaven. And it's from there that we eagerly wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who's going to change this body and all these things into conformity with the body of his glory. Our citizenship is in heaven. And let's not forget that. Christ is the path to holiness, not empty rules. I hope you pursue him. I want to pray for us that God would help us to do that. And then I have a few announcements before we sign off for the morning. Pray with me, please. Our Father, thank you so much for the word of God, and for this section that it just presses us to evaluate how we measure our own life and how we pursue spiritual life. Our Father, we need your help in this. We do. We so tend toward rule-keeping and rule-making, and we so tend to, to want to be able to measure, and so we go there. And Father, I pray that, that Christ would be all in all for us, that our pursuit would be Christ, our main, that main fragrance of our lives, it would be Christ, the spirit of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, the truth of Christ, Christ, the one who's full of grace, grace and truth. So, Father, help us, help us with this. I pray that this week, that we in the Sunset family would be those who pursue Jesus. All the other things we do and don't do, that Christ would be the center of it all. May it be true of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.